Um, if you come here weekly, you'll know that we've been looking at the Ten Commandments um, given to Moses way, way, way back in history, yet amazingly, phenomenally still relevant to us today. We've been seeing that over the weeks, haven't you? They've been challenging. They've been difficult. For some of you, they've been painful, enlightening maybe. All sorts of emotions, haven't they? Question. Question. How has God been moving you? How are you going to... Um, um, how are you going to respond to the nudging, the prodding of God? How are you going to live out, let me phrase it differently, how are you going to live out the uh, uh, out being image bearers of God in the world, as Gavin spoke to us about the other morning? A very high privilege. Jubilee, will you take these loving, life-giving, joy-giving, uh, bringing boundaries that God sets seriously? Will you? Will you let God, the Holy Spirit, mold you like a piece of clay on a wheel? So this week is uh, pretty tricky too. It's the Eighth Commandment, um, opening up the whole area of probably one of our biggest idols, one of the biggest things that affects us. Money, possessions, wealth, greed, generosity, and giving. So we're going to be speaking into uh, all of that stuff. That's what Jubilee, actually. Jubilee, our name, our God-given name, you and me. That's what it's all about, isn't it? A people who are radically, lavishly generous, abundantly generous. Uh, when you look in the Bible, Jesus himself taught about money and possessions about 25% of the time. Did you know that? How come? How come did Jesus speak about it so much? Well, Jesus knows uh, well, Jesus knows that your wallet, and this is a paraphrase of what he said, your wallet is the place where your heart reveals itself most accurately. I'll say that again. Jesus knows that your wallet is the place that, uh, where, that your heart reveals itself most accurately. And we worship a God who uh, goes all out for our heart. He does. He does. So this morning, I want to unpack some hopefully helpful things <clears throat> that the Bible says about money and possessions. We might not all like them. We might feel a little bit uncomfortable by them. Uh, but God is a God of grace. Whether you're new to the faith, old to the faith, not a believer, whether you're rich, whether you're not so rich, you know what? God wants us to understand His understanding of money, possessions, and wealth. So what we're about to read this morning in uh, 2 Corinthians is actually a fundraising letter. Can you believe it? Um, to a relatively wealthy church, the Corinthian church, where the Apostle Paul is exhorting them, pleading to them to give generously to the Gentile churches in Jerusalem and to remember the poor. And what really seems to capture the Apostle Paul's attention was Titus's news, one of his apostolic delegates, about the generosity that welled up in the Macedonian church, who despite their great, great poverty, gave lots. What made them do that? How did they do that? Let's read. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 9. And now, brothers and sisters, we want to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. 
For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege, high privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had early made, earlier made in the beginning, to bring also to the completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in, and in, and, and in the love we have kindled in you, see also that you excel in the grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want, I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others like the Macedonian church. For you know, get this, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you are uh, generous, abundantly rich, overflowingly uh, providing God. I thank you, Lord, that we can never outgive you. I thank you, Lord, that you know everything we need. And I pray, Lord God, as we open up this, uh, this subject that we don't feel condemned, again, that we don't feel uh, uh, drawn down, but actually we are released into the joy of giving. I thank you, Lord. Uh, Fifteen years ago, Jeremy spoke one-on-one, -on -one, face to face with me about this when I wasn't giving regularly. And I thank you, Lord, that those weren't words that knocked me down, but actually released me into a life of generous giving. And I pray, Lord God, that we will be challenged by your word this morning, that we'll be a people who love you and do for you everything, everything that you've called us to do. Thank you, Jesus, that you became poor so that we might become rich. And I pray, Lord God, that in your eternal, eternal cross, uh, that, your, that, that your cross will give us eternal hope and make us rich. In Jesus' name, amen. So three headings again uh, this morning. Three truths about giving and wealth and possessions and money. Firstly, wake up. Your money is God's, not yours. We're all stewards uh, of all we have. Secondly, watch out. Your money can be a trap. And thirdly, praise God, you can take it with you. That's where we're going. Firstly, your money is actually not your money. You are not the owner. You know what? That is a radical way of thinking about all we have. It's something that I... We, the Corinthian church, had such difficulty getting. It's the underlying theological principle, if you like, or the big idea, if you like, why God says many of us are not, many of us, not just a few of us, can be thieves when it comes to our possessions and God. That's strong language, isn't it? We don't like that. See what verse 5 uh, is talking um, um, see, see verse 5 talking about the generous Macedonian church. It says this, and they exceeded our expectations in giving. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord 
and then by the will of God also to us. What's he saying? Well, the Macedonian church, Paul is telling us, understood that they were God's possession first and foremost, that everything they had was by the grace of God. The Bible, Jesus' teaching gets across that, <laughs> that we are stewards, trustees, if you like, of God's money, not ours to do whatever we want. That's what the Bible says. Right at the very beginning in Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man, Adam, and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Everything we have belongs to God. Everything we have comes from God. Everything we have is, <coughs> is for the will of God. Everything we have goes back to God. We are caretakers, Jubilee, God's, God's stewards. That's the big idea behind the Eighth Commandment. <clears throat> so what on earth is a steward? And why is this theologically so important? And how does it affect us? Well, a steward is someone who manages, looks after, uses wisely the assets, the possessions of someone else. A steward is someone who has been entrusted with um, possessions to do not what they want, but to do what the owner wants. And because it's not theirs, but someone else's, they have to be careful, thoughtful about what they do with it. That's what a good steward does, a good trustee does. Uh, John John, our 20-month-year-old son, is starting to learn that very common word that children seem to learn very quickly, the word mine. Mine, Daddy. Get off, Jemima. Mine. My seat. My breadstick. My car. My telly, my ball, my mummy, mine. Hilarious for an almost two-year-old, really, because the reality of it is that his stuff isn't actually his stuff at all. It's mine. <laughs> I provided it for him. He didn't earn any of it. But this immature, almost two-year-old brain couldn't get it, however much I tried to explain it to him. Kids are like that, aren't they? Fickle sometimes. Not like us grown-ups. Question Jubilee. Who do you think all your wealth belongs to? And by your wealth, I mean your job, your income, your retirement, uh, your retirement account, your savings, your assets, your possessions, your home, your investments, your grants, your student loan, your benefits, your car, your inheritance, all of it. Who do you think owns all of your possessions? Really? You or God? Do you naturally think mine or his? I know what the answer to that is for me. Psalm 24 tells us, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. God says it's all mine. Psalm 50.10 says, every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills, all the McDonald's burgers are mine. That's what God says. Haggai 2.8, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. All the credit cards, all the debit cards, all mine. And so if it is all of his stuff, and it is, then the natural follow-on from that is this. I can't do with it what I want to do with it. I need to do with it what he wants me to do with it. And if I don't, if I don't, it's not just stingy, it's 
stealing. Do you get that? That's the theological big idea behind this. In Malachi 3.18, God gets this across to his cherished people. He says this, Will a man rob God? You, yet you are robbing me. And the people say, but, but they say, how? How have we robbed you? And God's reply is this, In tithes and offerings, by what we have not given, in accordance with what God has said in his word. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Ow. Powerful words. The Apostle Paul rephrases it in Ephesians 4.28. He says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. What's he saying? He's saying this, you're either a thief or you're a radically faith-filled, generous person, and there is nothing in between. Putting it another way, what I, should never, what I should never ask is how much of my wealth should I give to God? Instead, the question really should be, how much of God's wealth does he want me to keep for myself? You see the difference? It's an issue of ownership. Jubilee, getting this fundamental truth into our heads radically changes our attitude and use of his money. It really does. So point one. Who do you think owns your wealth? God does. It's mine. All mine, says God. I'm calling you to a life of godly stewardship. Thou shalt not steal. So why does God, why does a God who loves us want us so, so much to get this? Because this is important. <clears throat> well, secondly, the Bible warns us that money for many of us, most of us actually, can be a trap whether we have it or not. Probably one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible is from 1 uh, Timothy 6.10. It says this, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. You've heard that before lots of times, haven't you? Many people say, hey, there you have it. The church wants you to be poor. We should all be poor. Watch out for those rich people. Boo, kiss. Because money is the root of all evil. It's bad, very bad. They're bad. But get this, this is, that is not a biblical view. That's not what this verse is getting at all. It actually goes back to the commandment too uh, about idolatry, about what we are worshipping. It's not saying that money is the root of all evil. Money in itself actually is neither good nor bad. It's just money. It's the love, the worship of money, which is the problem, your problem, my problem. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, no one, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That's the trap, Jesus said. When money becomes your God, when you worship money just like um, any idol in our life, and there are lots of them, as I spoke about a few weeks ago, we end up loving it trusting it and obeying it, pursuing it with all our heart and soul and strength and mind, treading on everybody and everything around us just to get more of it, living a life of anxiety and fear and guilt and pride. That's the problem. That's the trap of loving money. 
And do you know what? Jesus doesn't want that. Jesus actually wants to free us from all of that. He wants to release us. See verse 9 in the passage, it says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, heavenly rich, yet for your sake he became poor, earthly poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Wow. That's the answer. Do you see it? When you look at what Jesus gave up for you on the cross, and then look at what he calls you to give up for him, it's laughable. As the great um, preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon once said, Jesus Christ was up on the cross, hurting, bleeding, dying, looking down at the people, forsaking him, denying him, betraying him, and in the greatest act of love in the universe, what? He stayed. <coughs> Only love like that will release us from money's trap. Jubilee, bottom line, do you worship God? Do you worship your money as God? Or do you worship God with your money? Two very different things. God gave me a picture of a beautiful tapestry, a beautiful garment that he's making here in Jubilee. When you see tapestries or beautiful garments, you see that they're made up of lots and lots of threads and interlaced, intertwined with one another. Each thread must go over and under and around and through the others at thousands of different points in the garment. Then and only then do you get a beautiful, strong fabric. Jubilee, from the bottom of my heart, I believe that is our call. That's our jubilee mission. As men and women and children created by God, uh, provided graciously by God, we, li we as Christians have the God-given duty to actively go to places where the fabric is breaking down, where it's tearing, where the weaker and vulnerable members of society are falling through, where the interwovenness, where the interde interdependence isn't happening, where God's peace is breaking down. And in amongst those situations, we are to be people who take all, all the threads of our lives, our time, our money, our skills, our emotions, our compassion, our physical bodies, and to plunge them deeply into the lives of others through thousands of involvements and connections and threads over, under, around, and through. Working out diligently, joyfully, sacrificially, generously, God's beautiful tapestry in this world. Are you up for that? That is our Isaiah 61 call, mandate, mission, adventure. Arif and Erfan, the, these, these are the, uh, sorry, Arif and uh, Arizu, these are, and their family. These are, these are guys who are very much part of everything we do. What great news this morning. Where there is kingdom activity, more and more people will be saved. I love this church because God has put that into your very DNA jubilee. And lots of you, lots of you, live it out. Well done. God calls us to be good stewards. Thou shalt not steal. God calls us not to worship money as God, but to worship God with our money. 
beautiful, beautiful tapestry weavers for God. Jesus says in Luke 12, 15, watch out, be on your guard against all things of all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of presence, uh, of possessions. Thirdly, finally, you can take it with you. That's the wonder of our eternal hope, isn't it? Don't listen to what people say when they say you can't take it with you, because actually you can. Jesus says so. Matthew 6, 21, it says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven right here, right now, where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. Randy Olcorn, a guy who writes a lot about um, money and possessions, uh, um, um, wrote about this very famous verse, and this is what he said. What does it mean to lay up treasure in heaven instead of on the earth? It means that Christ, Jesus, offers us the incredible opportunity to trade earthly goods and currency for eternal kingdom rewards. By putting your money and possessions in his treasury, we assure ourselves of eternal rewards beyond comprehension. You can take it with you. That, that through our giving to God, our sacrificial sharing, our eye-popping generosity, our love for the poor, teaching this to our children, we are making Jubilee an investment in heaven that is safe and secure and will reap a fortune. No more anxiety, no more fear. Do you see that? John Piper writes, the mark of a Christian is that his eyes are on heaven and he measures all his behavior, especially our giving, by what effect it will have on heaven. Everlasting joy with God. You can take it with you. I just want to end with a few practical biblical points. We don't often talk about this on a Sunday morning. Uh, a few practical points about giving, because I know the big question is always, 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 how much? Why can't the Bible just spit it out and say, give this much this year? And even here in verse 8, actually, the Apostle Paul says, I'm not commanding you to give like the Macedonians. I'm not forcing you, no. Rather, I want you to have an experience of God through his word, through his actions, through his spirit, through others, that brings you a place of, yes, I want to do this for you. Overflowing joy. How much? That much. So what does the Bible say? What's the formula? Is it tithing, giving a tenth of everything to, uh, of what I have to the church? Will that do? Four things, very briefly, to end. Firstly, four principles. Firstly, we give out we give out of an understanding of grace, Jesus' grace to us. We are called not to give out, give out of obligation, but rather out of a heart that is so moved by what Jesus has done for us uh, uh, to the point where we cannot help pouring out our riches to him who gave us, who gives us so much. That's what Paul is saying here. He says it in Romans 8.32, 
as well. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? We can't outgive God. We give out of an understanding of his abundant, lavish outpouring of grace in Jesus on the cross to us, for us. Secondly, we give purposefully. You see, you can, I can, we can drift in our giving. When we're, not actually, when we're not actively, systematically, prayerfully giving, we can actually just dwindle. God calls us to think about this seriously. God calls us to think about our giving regularly, have conversations with our wives and kids about it. He calls us to enter into a real dialogue with Him through prayer, through the prophetic, through reading the Word. What is He saying to you? What is He calling you to give? What adventure of faith is He asking you to join Him on? What will it be this year? 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but purposefully. So we give out of grace. We give purposely. Thirdly, we give cheerfully and sacrificially. Cheerfully and sacrificially. That's what the Apostle uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, 7. He says, for God loves a cheerful giver. Yeah. In fact, the English translation of the Greek here dumbs it down. The Greek word translated cheerful is actually more like hilarious. Woohoo! No one's laughing. The Bible links generous giving with joy. It really does God's joy. Have you experienced that? C.J. Mahaney, who many of you will have seen in Stoneley, when talking about the Greek word for cheerful, hilarious giving, says, what does hilarious giving look like? It is just short of delirious. <laughs> and if you know C.J. Mahaney, he's hilarious. Is that how you feel when it comes to money and giving? I remember Jeremy used to say when he used to lead the church, how much, how much do you have to give to start laughing? Jubilee, we give cheerfully. But cheerfully, understand, cheerfully also goes hand in hand with sacrificial giving. The two are one, actually. It costs us to give. Sacrificial giving to the eye-popping proportions that the Bible calls us to means we should feel it. Sacrificial giving make, means making radical lifestyle adjustments to the point of not having what other peers have. For some of you, that might be giving 10%. For some of you, that might be giving 50%. The exact amount is between you and Jesus. Jonathan Edwards very, says very challengingly, you've got to concentrate on this, uh, um, um, this piece, this little bit of what he's written, because it's in slightly older English. Jonathan Edwards says very challengingly, um, remember Galatians 6.2, Jonathan, Jonathan Edwards says, when it asks us to bear one another's burdens, we may, by the rules of the gospel, be obliged to give to others when we cannot do it without suffering ourselves. Else, how is that rule, bear with one another's burdens, fulfilled? If we are never obliged to relieve others' burdens, except when we can do it without burdening, burdening ourselves. How do, you burden, how do you bear your neighbor's burdens when you only do it by be, uh, bearing no burden at all? 
Do you see what he's saying? It's tough, actually. He's saying, when, he's saying when we say, I can't afford to give, what we mean is we can't afford to give to the church, to the poor, to other members of the church without it burdening me, without it hurting my living standards, without it making me radically sacrifice. And Jesus says, yes, that's exactly it. That's how much I want you to give. There's no such thing as a person who can afford to help. In fact, if you can afford to help, Jesus says, you're not helping enough. Ouch. No one here is going to tell you the exact amount, but he will. No one here will force you to give. We just don't do that. But his love will melt your heart into a level of giving that surprises and releases even you. And when you follow him, you know what? You will feel it. It's a wonderful journey. Fourthly, we also give proportionally, regularly, and generously. I've deliberately put all those together. God calls us to sensible, systematic, thought-out, planned, generous, lavish giving based on what we, some of the things we've said earlier. That might mean monthly, or weekly to you, not just when we feel like it, or remember, or someone tells us to. Many of you give by standing order um, on a regular basis. Thank you. That really helps us too, actually, knowing how much we've got. That helps us to be wise stewards of God's provision. The forms are on the welcome desk if you're not doing that. 1 Corinthians 16.2 says, On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. The Bible's sensible. I, Jubilee, want to thank you, as, on behalf of us as elders, I want to thank you for always, over the years, being faithful givers. I want to thank Jesus for his always surprising face, growing provision. If this is hurting you, if you're, not give, if you're not on the giving adventure, the heart adventure, the, heaven, the heavenly investment, whether you're a student or an asylum seeker or a businesswoman or a teacher, get on it. Why should you miss out? If Jesus is stirring you to give more, trust him. Step out. If you're uh, not really feeling the extent of your giving or, or you're afraid or worried, then look, let God shake off those chains as... Um, as we, we sang about last week, that hold you back this morning. Let his life-giving, fear-destroying, hope-providing, lie-breaking, joy-injecting spirit release you. Because that's what it is. On the cross, Jesus gave up all his treasure in heaven. Not 10%, not even 50%. All his treasure in heaven to make you his treasure. You. He did. Phenomenal that God would do that if you think about it. And do you know what? When you see him making you his treasure, that will make you see him as your treasure. And when you see him as your treasure above all else, finally, at last, unshakably, eternally, hilariously, forever, you will be really wealthy with God's everlasting, never-fading riches. How can you say no to that? You can't. 
Let's stand. We're going to worship now. If the, um, if the band could come up, that would be good. As we sing this next song, I'm going to pray first. As we sing this next song, I want you to call on heaven's resources into your life, into the places you live, the schools or the, the, the different workplaces or wherever it is that you go. I want, to, I want you to call, call on heaven's resources to come. When it comes to Jubilee Church, I want you to pray that God will continually, faithfully keep providing. We have a lot of stuff to do that God has called us to do. We want to reach out into many places. We want to grow up the body that is the church uh, into, into maturity. Um, uh, we, want, we, want, we don't want to be little children hanging around for years. We want to grow up. We want to release people into uh, the many different things that God has called them to. Don't we? We want to see community in Jubilee like never before. Rich, beautiful. We have a lot of things. We have a lot of things. An open door, too. They're starting their Just 15 campaign. Is that what it's called? Food for 15, sorry. Get on the website, work out what it's about, and do your sponsorship. Raise money, give regularly. Yes, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are an amazing God and you don't have a problem with talking about money. I thank you, Lord, that you are a God who provides generously. I thank you, Lord, that you are a wonderfully rich God. And I pray that you call us, you move us more and more onto the adventure of faith that is giving. I pray, Lord God, that you will call us onto the wonderful journey that is godly stewardship of everything that you own, that you've given us to look after, to be caretakers of. And I pray, Lord God, that uh, you'll release us from fear and anxiety and guilt and launch us into prayers. And I pray this year, Lord God, as, actually I remember as, as we're just kind of moving into the next financial year, as we've moved into the next financial year, I pray, Lord God, that you'll be with us faithfully and lovingly. Surprise us again, Lord God. Surprise us again, Lord God, not just in this church, but in the churches across Teesside, in the different nations that we are involved in, in new frontiers, in Christ-central churches. I pray, Lord God, that you provide for your church in Jesus' name. Amen.